It's my crush. It's my hero. It's Conan O'Brien. Hello. Oh, wow. That's a lot. That's a lot to put on me. I know. Um, Sorry. Are you all right? Yeah. I think I'm going to be fine. Yes. <laughs> I'm just imagining I'm David Bowie, and that's where you're directing it. That's, yes. That's the yeah. appropriate... That's the appropriate place to send. I think that you've been known as the David Bowie of late night. I think that's fair. Yes, I was the Bowie of late night. And uh, uh, we were lucky enough to uh, have him on several times. And he was lovely. He was I didn't know you'd interviewed him. Oh, yeah. He was terrific. Very funny. Played along with everything. And very intelligent. And one of my all-time favorite people. So who's better than David Bowie? I say nobody. That's Were you a big fan of his before you had to interview him? Yes. Yes, I really was. And um, I just loved how he kept, I think my favorite quality in entertainers uh, and artists is when they just keep changing. I love that. I always find that fascinating. And I'm amazed if you look at his arc, just how many times he kept reinventing himself. So I, I admired that a lot about him. Yeah, except you and I have had the same haircuts for 30 years. So, I mean, <laughs> we admire it. We, we talk the talk, but we do not walk the Well, walk. Uh, we've changed in other ways. We you did wear and a, you wore a denim jacket for your final year. That's right. Yeah, so, you know, that was my big change. <laughs> Let's see if the fans can handle denim. Do you feel like... I wonder this about quite a lot of people, especially musicians sometimes, but do you feel that as you become more successful, life becomes slicker, the show becomes slicker, everything's run kind of more smoothly, especially as we've gone into more of a digital age and things are more kind of controlled and therefore, I don't know, like a little bit colder? Do you find that you you miss the kind of scrappiness of before? Yes. Uh, I know what you're talking about. When I started... Way back when we started our late night show. 28 years ago. Yeah, 1993. And we didn't really know what we were doing. And I'm going to be really honest about it. Uh, NBC should not have given me a show. It was a mistake. (laughs) I was way too green. (laughs) And there was not enough supervision. And what we had was a lot of ideas of what the show should be, which I think later on were born out to be correct and worthy. And we had a lot of nerve, but we really didn't know what we were doing. And I'm stunned that I found myself in that position and was able to push through it. And there was a lot that, um, there were shows that barely made it on the air. I mean, there were times when we delivered the show minutes before it needed to be put into a machine and a button pressed and then you know, blast a pigeon, it out. A pigeon would carry it to yeah, exactly it a pigeon and go. then a pneumatic tube. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But uh, but yeah, so I was had just turned thirty. I was twenty nine when I auditioned. I had just turned thirty, and I look at someone the other day. One of my friends found online a promo that I made before the show went on the air, and I look about sixteen years old. And I positively sound prepubescent. And I just can't believe that that guy got such a high profile show and we didn't know what we were doing. So I miss that part. I miss the scrappiness of it. I miss the ragged edges sometimes, but I could never live that again (laughs) because I think it would kill me. (laughs) It was too scary. 
It was really scary. Yeah, especially if you have anxiety, which I really want to talk to you about. I mean, this is predominantly a mental health podcast and and I feel as though you've been so honest and open, always in a very like fun and funny and relatable way, but about the fact that you have can I say struggled with your mental health? Would you call it a struggle or you've just Yeah, I of... think I think everybody, I mean, I think a lot of yeah. people have. I wouldn't say everybody has because I can't speak for everybody, but um I haven't. I, I'm perfect, but yeah. Oh, we know that. Yeah, I, this is I a look, charity podcast for people like you. I uh, I just did a Google search on uh, perfect <laughs> mental health, and your your picture came up. Yeah, beautiful shot of you. Thank um, you very much. <laughs> yeah, I would say that to be fair, and again, I, I can I can say that it's in my family line. Anxiety specifically. Um, I think we're anxious people, uh, and I can see it. In my immediate family, I can see it in the family tree. Is that what? I mean, what's that from? Like, what's the? Is there a thing that happened throughout your lineage? I know that you are one hundred percent Irish. Yes, I'm one hundred percent Irish. Which, I'm not saying uh, anything here about Irish and being anxious, just to be clear. But I'm just saying <laughs> that, like, well, you know, that's all I really know about your lineage is that you you feel very fondly about your family and you are one hundred percent Irish. I'm one hundred percent Irish. I had a genetic uh, test about three years ago, and I ended up talking about it on stage a lot uh, in a tour, which is I got the news that I was 100% Irish, and uh, the genetic doctor who told me that said, this is very rare for anyone. He said, there aren't uh, there aren't people that live in Ireland that are 100% Irish. They've got a little mix of, yeah, they've got like a little mix of some Spanish in there. They've got a little Dutch. They've got a little this, they got a little that. Uh, and so I nobody thought, wanted to shag your ancestors then. That's great. Well, no, but what it turns out is our ancestors just wanted to shag each other. <laughs> I figured out very quickly it means I'm I'm inbred. <laughs> really inbred. Hundreds of years, hundreds and hundreds of years of a brother looking at a sister and saying, you know, uh, it's raining out again. Um, no, I... I mean, famously, the Irish, and this, I, I think this is a safe generalization, but we, we're known to self-medicate uh, um, mm. using uh, what's available, usually Guinness or something. But there's, <laughs> you know, there's a, I think there's a strong correlation. And I can't say, look, I think there's many different people around the world that have problems with anxiety. But I know that for me personally, growing up, I remembered thinking around the time that I was in the fourth, fifth, sixth, it really started in fourth grade and fifth grade and sixth grade. I'm anxious all the time. I'm just anxious. And I remember- What were you anxious about? Like what kind oh, of things you know does someone funny? in fourth grade worry about? I, uh, I think I moved to a much bigger school. I come from a really big family. My mom went back to work. So both my parents were working. She wasn't around a lot. And I think I, I felt completely lost in the shuffle and I think I also, um, you know, my knobs are probably turned up a little high on how I perceive what's going on. Did, this is a strange environment. Do people like me? Do they not like me? Uh, dealing with a lot of insecurity. I was not a good athlete. I did not think of myself as a smart person. And it's so funny because later on, people started to say, well, you know, you're really smart. And I would think I, I had no idea and I don't think of myself that way. And when I was a kid, I really didn't think that I was intelligent and I didn't think I had much to offer. 
So you add all those things together. And I remember just, you know, I hated going to school, hated the ride to school. It was a carpool. And every second that we were riding there, I kept thinking, well, we're not there yet. We didn't cross the trolley tracks yet. So we're not there yet. Just kind of that sick to your stomach queasiness. Do you know where that came from? I don't. You know, it's funny because I've had, you know, my share of therapy and everything, but I... It feels like you were waiting always for the rug to be pulled from under you. Yeah, and I think there's still, you know, I still have that uh, at times. You just think there is, you know, and duh, this is probably where some of it comes from. My father is an, I think, is an anxious person. And he used to say to me, anxiety he thought was a good thing because... It spurred you to work harder. It made you more cautious. If you're anxious and you're worried, you're probably looking around, you're looking ahead. He used to say to me, uh, accidents are usually a failure of imagination. So he's kind of a- <laughs> That's amazing. He's a I philosopher. Know. Yeah, he, he kind of uh, was a, my dad was, um, and I love my dad and he's a great guy, a brilliant guy and uh very f- bit of a downer sometimes. Oh no! Well, I just think no. I'm kidding. <laughs> yeah, no. But you know, to be fair to him, I think he just thought that if you're careful enough in life, you can avoid problems. And I remember thinking, I think I swallowed my dad's philosophy. Like, oh yeah, okay, like a survival mechanism. Yeah, like a survival mechanism. But of course, when I look at my career now. Some of the best things that happened to me were me taking crazy chances. I mean, uh, graduating from, you know, this really good elite college and deciding to go out to L.A. and try my hand at being a comedy writer felt like, in retrospect, feels kind of risky. Yeah, no one goes from Harvard to working on, like, The Simpsons. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> I think it's amazing that you did. And like, and obviously like Mike Scher now and all these different- Oh no, at like the time, you know, it's funny because it, it, became, it became this like more acceptable thing to do. And now it's the equivalent of being like a stockbroker in the 1950s. It's but this very... was the 1800s, you know, this was a different <laughs> time. <laughs> I should point out, I was born, to be fair, in the late 1800s. I yes, was born in 1898. <laughs> but no, but it's, it's funny that it was, I just look at some of the things that I've done in my life. Uh, and I thought that was a crazy chance to take. And then I took a bunch of chances here and there. And um, yeah, I am very... I realized in a weird way, I'm very comfortable with that chaos. I'm really comfortable taking a chance. And one of my, you know, if I'm on stage and things start to go off the rails, it's the opposite of scary. It's actually kind of thrilling and fun. Mm -hmm. And some of my favorite moments have been accidents. So it's very strange to grow up being afraid of a surprise or being afraid of something not going well, and then actually find yourself in a profession where, I mean, getting up in front of people to try and make them laugh, I don't care who you are, it doesn't work all the time. It just doesn't. And when it goes badly, it's awful. It feels just as badly. I've always wondered this. What goes through one's head when they're bombing on stage? 
Because I've always been like, too, I've done stand-up one time ever. I did it at Largo uh-huh. and it was the most exciting and exhilarating thing I've ever done. And it went well. And I was like, right, that'll never happen again. I'm ne- right. I don't have right. the... I don't have the gumption to ever try this ever again. And I've always wondered, because I'm so afraid of that feeling of dying on my absolute ass, what does that feel like? Well, not that I would ever know. Yeah, of Um, course. I mean, I've read books about it and accounts. Sad, sad Uh, for them. (laughs) (laughs) No, I will tell you that, um, I'll tell you exactly what it feels like. At first, it's terrible, absolutely terrible to be, trying to get people to laugh and it's not working. And what happens uh, as as you go on in life is it starts to be terrible and then the worse it gets, suddenly something happens where it's kind of funny. You just think, (laughs) I'm getting nothing. And this has happened, I'm gonna say mostly uh, uh, when it has happened, it's been a charity event where they they book you and they say, uh, we've got Conan O'Brien, it's gonna be great. And it's a really big room that's not built for comedy, giant, massive, and deep. And they serve dinner and people are getting their food. Literally waiters are handing them their food and they're eating and you hear silverware. And then there's no proper warm-up or introduction. A voice just says, okay, everybody, Conan O'Brien. (laughs) <laughs> and then suddenly you start walking up the dais and you realize, I can hear my feet. I can hear my leather of my shoes squeaking. And I hear a lot of eating and there's no sense of occasion and there's no focus. And you get up there and you're like, okay, everybody, welcome. You know, we're going to try and erase glaucoma today. Speaking of erasing glaucoma, <laughs> and people are looking down at their food and occasionally they're looking up. And what's interesting is that no one, in your mind, you're thinking, oh my God, I'm bombing. They're not even thinking about you that way. They're just, oh, this veal is better than I thought it was. I wish it had a sauce. It doesn't have a sauce. I wonder if I can get the I was imagining attention. them thinking of you as a veal. Yeah, maybe, yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Well, I'm pale. Uh, this talented veal. Yeah. <laughs> But it is funny that you get to a point if you, I think with experience comes, okay, I know what it's like to do well in front of a crowd and I've done that enough to know that this is not a referendum on my character. This is just one of those nights. It's also, that reminds me quite a lot of social anxiety. I was telling my, I was telling my boyfriend about this, that, you know, when he used to worry about what people would think about him when, you know, we would go to a party because he has terrible social anxiety, or he did anyway, I'd just be like, no one is thinking about you being shit. Everyone is having the same worry yep. about whether they are being shit. And so while you're scrambling to find the end of your story or in your head you're scrambling, right. they're all just panicking about what their story is going to be, what they're going to contribute to this story. Everyone is so kind of navel-gazing and terrified that we presume everyone is focusing on us much more than they are. Obviously, that's different and very heightened if you're literally on stage and everyone is supposed to listen to you and they aren't. But it is kind of the same thing. They will quickly move on with their lives. Uh, They will very quickly um, forget that I was Mm -hmm. even at the benefit. Uh, And I think that's the other thing too is, um, 
it is very calming to realize that this planet is filled with billions and billions of people and most of us are very self-involved. <laughs> so mm-hmm. um, that does take away some of, you know, I don't know if you've done cognitive therapy, but I'm a big- I have. I'm a big believer in cognitive therapy. I've tried lots of different things, but one of the things that I loved about cognitive therapy is that we are machines. We are, you know, we're biological machines and we, uh, our brains work a certain way and uh, we're flawed. We, if, and if you start with the premise that we're flawed, and that evolution still needs to probably work on us for a couple hundred thousand more years for us to improve if we even get that shot. If you take that premise that we're flawed, you start to realize, oh, I can detach myself a little from my brain and I can sort of start to map out how it works. And so I can see, oh, I'm doing that thing again. I'm doing that thing where I, you know, Jamila says something, uh, that makes me, that triggers me that everyone thinks I look like a veal. Then I start to go, <laughs> then I, then I start I to, I was not saying I think you look like a veal. Well, you're the third person today anyway, <laughs> but then I start to go into a spiral. Uh, and you know what? The first thing I did when I went to cognitive therapy is the therapist who was very good said, um, when you're having these, you know, I'm no good, my career is over, I'm, it's all collapsing, no one ever really liked me, I'm a failure. All the things that people can think about themselves, regardless of what you do, if you write it all down on a sheet of paper as, as you're thinking it, and then walk away from it for 10 minutes, and then go back and look at it mm. and read it, it looks ridiculous. Do you know what I mean? Yes, I believe in writing everything down. And and so there might be a moment where you would think, I'm unattractive, I'm this, I'm that, I've gotten nowhere, people hate me, and you would write that all out. And then you, Jamila, would go back and look at it 10 minutes later and say, this is all shit. What are you talking about? This isn't true. None of this rings true. This is neuroses when you get 10 minutes away from it and it's on a piece of paper and you're able to revisit it just looks false. It just does, you know? Mm -hmm. And you're able to get a little distance on it in the moment that it's happening and you're having your anxiety attack, it's all encompassing and it all feels true. So that's one of the things I like. And when I talk to my kids, I have a 17-year-old daughter and I have a 15-year-old son. And if, if they're having anxiety, I do talk to them about, you know, Perspective. Perspective and saying, okay, what is it you're worried about? Get them to say it out loud and then say, really? So let me get this straight. No one likes you or you're, you're, you're not good at math. Well, actually, no, I'm, I am good at math. Oh, but you just told me five minutes ago, I'm no good at math. Mm. Well, actually, I, I didn't mean it that way. Well, that's exactly what you said. So you just start to divorce the, these, uh, you know, panic thoughts. Um, panic lies. Pa- yeah, they're lies. We had a guest on here say that um, depression gave him fake news. Yeah. I feel like that was one of my favorite expressions around that. 
I'm sorry, I was just taking what you said and then just sort of make like finding a more beautiful and condensed. Sure, with a clearly better with a, with a with a better guest. Yeah, clearly he's, better guest. Uh, yeah, he's really, my he's favorite. So great, by the way. Oh, I love that guy. <laughs> I love that guy. <laughs> I so completely agree, and I also love the fact that your kids are so lucky to have benefited from the fact that you have kind of gone through this entire trajectory and you've done the therapy, you've done the work, you've spent almost your entire life feeling this way, studying it, studying your family, your lineage, and you're able to impart that just kind of like cold water in the face of just the truth. Yeah, I think, um, you know, you brought up depression and it's funny because when I first started to get some help years ago, I was convinced, I said, I am not depressed. And I had a real chip on my shoulder about, it. I am not depressed. And I do wanna be fair that I, I've read accounts of people that have gone through just intense depression where they can't get out of bed. Mm -hmm. And I mean, they need incredible intervention and it's life-threatening. And I've never had that ever, yeah. ever for a second, ever had that. What was yours? How did yours manifest then? Like, because mine was the same. I was high functioning. So I didn't know I had depression. I thought that you had to cry all the time. To yeah, exactly. That's depressed. what I thought. And so when someone was saying, well, I think you might be depressed. I was very argumentative and was like, no, that's not me. I'm anxious, I'm anxious, that's not the same. And then I started to learn that anxiety is a for <laughs> perpetual anxiety is a type of uh, depression or a subset of it, and that it can all fall under the same, it's not an either or. And the other thing that I heard was this great definition of depression, someone said to me, which is it's anger turned inward. And I thought, that's mm -hmm. fantastic. I never thought of it that way, but it is, it really is anger at yourself. Uh, and, you know, when it, it's at it, when it's at its worst, it's rage directed at yourself. Uh, and so that's what I tried to attack is, hey, what did I do <laughs> that, was so, that was so bad? Why am I, you know, why, why am I picking on myself so much? Why am I putting myself through this? Because that's what we are doing a lot of times in some way. Mine is a different kind of repressed rage where I'm not mad at myself. I'm actually mad at other people and I'm not being brave enough to say something and stand up for myself. And that frustrates me with me. Right. But generally, one of my ways out of depression was deciding to be the smaller man instead of the bigger man and actually get pettier yeah. and never rise above. Uh, when they go low, we go lower. You know, I that's love that. I want that. That's I want my that. presidential slogan. <laughs> I want that. Let's, uh, the Obamas have the other slogan. So let's trademark that one. 2024, you and me, Conan. I, I'll love, be your deputy. I love when they go low, <laughs> we go lower. I, I would wear that shirt. It really helped. It really cured my, like, it really, I wouldn't say the word cured, but it massively alleviated. Oh, no, no. God, no. You, repressed rage. You're not, you're not no, cured. I'm not cured. No. Jesus, Jesus Christ. <laughs> you're as the worst I've, I mean, you just get worse and worse. <laughs> Every time I t every time I talk to you, I'm falling you're, apart. You're completely falling apart. Uh, it's fascinating <laughs> that you say that because I, I was raised very Catholic, and my mother, as we were growing up, there's this Catholic idea, Christian idea, but the Catholics have really taken it, and it was offer it up, offer it up. So, she, my mother would always say, uh, if something's bothering you, or if, if someone's irritated you or if someone's done something, she would say, offer it up to the suffering souls in purgatory. And and, and I remember at the time thinking- Well, I don't know what that means, offer it up. Like Offer it up, 
almost like a prayer. Like, oh, that person just cut me off in traffic and took off my front bumper and then tore off into the night. So I'm gonna take all that anger and rage towards them and uh, just offer it up uh, and like, as an offering, I'm gonna give it up to the universe and it will just magically disappear. Oh, and no. and I was like, uh, even as a kid, I thought, huh, okay, well, my mom's telling me this, so it must be good. Um, and it doesn't work. That no. doesn't work. You need no. to accelerate, uh, then force that person over to the side of the road and then yeah. take the bumper off the front of your car that's yep. hanging there by one bolt and beat them with it. And will you take a shit on the the driving seat as well? That's a it's lot of pressure important. to take a shit on cue Oh, I'm like sorry. That. Have I gone too far? <laughs> 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 I'm so sorry that I lost I mean, control in this scenario. I'm sorry, but <laughs> you uh, now are invoking, uh, think about the anxiety involved in you're, defecating on cue. You're on being cue. horribly violent, but I've gone too far. Yes. You have, because that's unsanitary. <laughs> I was just going to clomp him once on the side of the shoulder. I'm sorry. I didn't realize that this was yeah. a civilized conversation. This I was a civilized attack. Yeah. <laughs> this was just me enforcing certain societal rules. And now you brought in defecation. And so um, you have a lot of work to do. And I'm yeah. going to double down on this idea that you're getting worse and worse. Uh, <laughs> This is <laughs> but I do, I really do. I've spent kind of the last nine years now since I made that decision, maybe eight years, it's just in the gutter. Like I jump down and I'll I'll fight, I'll fight you. Like that's yeah, it. Yeah. I'm just like, I'm all about that. And while I think that it's important to make sure that you never become the aggressor, it's all like it has helped me personally to, and people say, you know, don't use your energy for that. But if I don't use my energy for that, I end up using my energy kind of consoling myself from all the shit that I've had to swallow, like, like having to digest all of someone else's bullshit that I have just swallowed against my integral yeah, it, will. It does not work, very simply. It doesn't work. Now, it doesn't mean you have to beat them with a bumper or uh, defecate on their front seat. Mm -hmm. You don't have to do those things, but standing up for yourself is a very healthy thing to do. And swallowing anger it just has to go somewhere. So when you internalize that stuff, uh, disappointment, anger, and I was so uncomfortable being, feeling like I had to confront people about things. Uh, it was problematic and I would just um, internalize it. So, so you try and offer it up and it would just sort of piss back down over it you. It would piss back down when on did me. You, I, when did you stop doing that? Was there like a moment where you were like, fuck this, I actually can't do this anymore? I want to say once I started doing the late night show and I was under so much pressure, there was just no way to do that anymore. Uh, and I remembered when I, when I came to New York to do the late night show and I was 30, I remembered going to a restaurant with, with someone and the waitress said, oh, and we have this lovely salad and she listed nine ingredients. And I remembered I loved eight of them, but the ninth ingredient was something I really didn't like, which was olives. I don't like olives. Mm -hmm. And so I remember thinking, well, I can't get that. And my friend said, why don't you ask them, can you get me that dish, but just leave off the olives? And I said, and I'm I'm 30 year old man at the time. And I said, oh, she's gonna think I'm like a dick if I ask her to leave off 
and I'm one of those fussy customers and I don't want her to be mad at me. And they're like, what are you talking about? That's called ordering in a restaurant. I'll have this, but could you leave off that and that and then put this on the side? That's the state of development I was in <laughs> at the age of 30 is I thought I'm going to get in trouble if I ask her to leave off the olives. It's so funny you say that. I, this again, like is part of my philosophy is that I started with changing my orders. That was my micro no. Yeah. That was how I began. That was my kind of, that was the um, a gateway drug to standing up for myself, was just starting to advocate for myself in really tiny ways. But that's one of the things that they, um, in cognitive therapy, they encourage you to do is you've got to start small, but you've got to do it it's like anything else. It's like doing sit-ups or push-ups. You've got to just start and then you, it has to be consistency. So every day. And for me, mine was um, if I knew the right way to go and I got into a cab and the cab driver was taking me the wrong way, it's okay to suggest a better way. You're not an asshole if you suggest a better way and you do it nicely. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And I had trouble doing that. So it took me a while. <laughs> I had these little micro assignments, like, could you please leave off the olives? And could you please, uh, you know, uh, maybe take the West Side Highway? Uh, I think that's going to go a little better at this time of day in my experience. What about with shagging? With shagging, were you ever good at being like, oh, I don't love, th I don't love that. Could, uh, could we do this differently? I was just happy that it was happening. <laughs> <laughs> Let's just say beggars can't be choosers. <laughs> <It's> just, <laughs> so happy. I'll eat, I'll eat the olives. <laughs> I'm here. I'm naked. <laughs> this is actually happening. I'm not watching Cinemax. This is incredible. Just shut up so, before it goes away. Yeah, I I do not I have. You. Uh, it's okay. That's also probably. Uh, Probably high cholesterol too. Um, <laughs> it's a mixture of blood pressure and embarrassment. Uh, like being no, that's really Irish. that's really funny. I am not. No, I am not. <laughs> I, I'm not some terrorist with a list of demands in the bedroom. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't mean that. I, I can't stop. I'm not saying. Do you have like a, a chill cot inquiry level to sort of like you know? Here's what's going to happen. Demands. See? No, no. But if like you know, like some people can use too much tongue. Do you know what I mean? In mm -hmm. in the in the mouth. And so have you been in that situation where you've ever been like, because that was a big that was a big one for me where I was like, oh, well, I've advocated for myself, where I was just like, hey, I would prefer it if we actually kissed a bit more like this. This would work for me. Could we try it? And then he ended up finding that fine. And then this was like when I was like 25 years old. And then we ended up having really nice kisses after that. And I was like, oh my God, the amount of bad kisses I've had and bad shags I've had. Because I never just said, oh, can we just... Yes. You know, that was my version of leaving off the olives. Like, leave out right. all of the tongue, you know? Right, right. Could you wear this presidential mask? Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I have a great collection of 19th century presidential masks. And, uh, Your you lucky know. wife. Yeah. Which no, one of you wears them? She, she drew the line. This is before my wife. You know, okay. it was always getting uh, getting the woman to wear the Martin Van Buren mask was always the trickiest <laughs> one. Uh, they just, I don't know why. They always drew the line at Van Buren. But uh, <laughs> no, but I, it's so funny you say that because, so it sounds to me like um, this person who was using too much tongue 
they probably thought they were overthinking it. They probably thought, oh, the ladies love this. And mm-hmm. basically what he is, he's a rotor rooter. He's just like a, he's like a blender, uh, yeah. you know, and, and it's, that's, he's not just in the moment. He's thinking time for the old tongue action that always gets him. Yeah. Well, that's also because no one's ever said, hey, this is like an attack inside the mouth. You know, so <laughs> he was giving you a cleaning. You know, did you ever Truly, notice that? That was how, it. Yeah, you noticed my hygienist that you, didn't have to. Was, <laughs> I had fired my hygienist. My, Your hygienist was like, "You have no plaque. This is incredible. <laughs> you haven't had a cleaning in six years, and you have nothing in here." I strongly suggest anyone listening to this. Like, I think that's a really also important way. It's in the bedroom. I feel like that's such a fundamental way to be able to advocate for yourself. You don't have to give anyone like you know an itinerary. But right. just a little like, hey, you know, I, we had Shadeen Francis on this show as a sex therapist mm-hmm. you talked about, and we're not going to talk about sex for the whole time, even though I know that you love that. It doesn't make you feel at all uncomfortable. But um, Not at all. But she talks about the fact that when you're cooking for someone, right. it's, it's very normal to be like, hey, is there anything you don't eat? <laughs> and so, ah. you know, it's so funny that with when it comes to sex, it's like, you shall eat what you are given. <laughs> Brussels sprouts yeah. for everyone. Uh, the um, it's so funny because we had uh, I'm blanking on her name now, but we had a sex therapist on the late night show in the '90s, and she was just so straightforward and just saying, "Okay, this is what women like. This is what they don't like." And I remember thinking, "Where were you 20 years ago?" Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? 100. percent Because I was so, I was getting the news late, <laughs> relatively late in is the that game. Via, is that via no news at all? Yes, no news exactly. There was, a, there was a news blackout and I, I'm someone who didn't know anything. <laughs> and so just, uh, you know, and then of course, the this was all pre-internet um, where, I mean, it's just it's knowledge and and there's way too much information about sex everywhere constantly, and uh, it's popping up on my watch and uh, it's mm-hmm. it's all the time. It's not a normal part of the watch, just so you know. Yes, you have to download that specially on the, <laughs> on the Apple Watch. I got a okay, special sorry, Apple Watch. On. Yeah, it's got a yeah. massive screen. Uh, <laughs> and um, but I grew up in that era where like you're hearing things from friends who were saying things like, well, basically how it works is you, you, this is a friend actually told me this. I think I was in like the fourth or fifth grade. He was like, he parks his car in her garage. And I was like, got it. (laughs) You know, I'm ready. I'm all set to go. Uh, That's, I mean, what is that? And and then uh, to actually start interviewing sex therapists through my job on television uh, and having them say, okay, uh, that you want to do this. You don't want to do that. This is good. This is, you could try this. You could try that. This is a good spot. And then you might want to do this. And you're just like, Jesus. I, I love invoking Jesus when having these conversations. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jesus, Mary, and Joseph. Uh, where was all this? I was operating on so little knowledge Literally, someone had told me, you're going to land this airplane. And all they said was, stick, go down. <laughs> Plane, go down. And no one told me about the... <laughs> the no one told me about the altimeter. No one told me about the aerolons. No one told me, you know, it just was nice to get some information. So 
I don't know. But now, of course, kids are getting crazy amounts of information at a at a very early age, and I don't know what that does to them. So who knows? Yeah, I I don't. Yeah, I don't know how I feel about the first time you learn about sex being almost entirely from uh, the internet. I do think some of it is, should be practical. Yes. You know what I mean? I feel like there's there's uh, more intuition as to what you as individuals, like we're not a monolith. We don't all like the same things. Uh, we're not, people don't respond in all the same ways. I feel as though it's it's definitely a shame that so many people are having so many of their first kind of sexual interactions online because you can't really instinctively feel uh, and I'm not anti all, you know, pornography or sex talk or anything like that. I think that's great. I think it, you know, creates access for those who don't have it. But I definitely feel like, oh no, some of this should be learned with your hands. You know, like as to like how what you like, what they like. Yes, yes. Otherwise, well, it becomes as too se- intellectualized. As the sex robots get better, which mm-hmm. they will. Uh, you know, they're going to come out with You've noticed they're getting better? I keep going by the store and I haven't been had for a while. They just looked like, (laughs) for a while they were just washing machines with mannequin arms and I was very (laughs) unhappy and I I would look, you know, I'd I'd, I'd go through the store, but they're just going to get better and better and better. And and then there's going to be people, (laughs) you'll be at a party having a full-on amazing conversation and you'll realize Hmm. this is a sex robot. (laughs) 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 This is a... (laughs) I don't know. I've been in LA for about eight years now and i already have that thought when i'm talking to some people you think this is a sex robot i think this is a sex robot yeah but enough about shagging conan uh if you don't mind all um, right stop bringing it up i just think there's a lot more to talk about here I've got some drawings um, and etchings I'd like to show you. <laughs> that would be great. Um, we could maybe present them at the end of the show. Uh, I yes. do want to talk. I, I want to talk a little bit more about the depression. So with mm-hmm. uh, so when it comes to like so advocating for yourself was like a big part of kind of changing. And how did that start to make you feel just more in tune with yourself, more integral, more in yeah. control? I think uh, I'm a big believer in talking to somebody, and um, there's. I when my when I do my podcast. Wait, I, do you mean like confrontation or you mean therapy? I mean therapy, and uh, I think that I probably still have a ways to go with confrontation, but um, but I think that talking uh, anything that when you're just trapped inside your head, it's easy to start drawing all the wrong conclusions, and I think that's where anxiety, that's where depression can build. I think the more that you can speak and get these ideas out of your head and then realize, oh, wait a minute, lots of people feel this way. Mm. Lots of people have these thoughts. I'm not special. I'm not this once in a millennia genius that just happens to have this very unusual well, way of speak thinking. Speak for yourself, but yeah, okay. No, no, no. You are. Yeah, you're, yeah, yeah. I wouldn't say millennial. I, just, you know, you're six hundred years. You're a once in a six hundred year genius. Thank you, thank you. In my, but I feel but very my, seen. My type of genius crops up l- roughly every four months, <laughs> uh, and in many different places in the world simultaneously. So uh, I can't feel too special about it. But talk about it and get it outside of your head. Get it out of you. And then you will start to realize, I think, that, oh, 
this is a pattern. This is a way a lot of people feel. And that in itself, I think, is very healing. I'm not so special. Like, uh, mm-hmm. I think you talk about that, you know, you talk about celebrity or performers. They, what's really at the crux of all that is I want everyone to see how special I am on some level. But it's also really healthy to realize you're not that special, you know, that mm-hmm. we've, we, you know, when I was growing up, obviously uh, an old man, but in the seventies, there was this big movement, like everybody's so special and you're so special and everyone's, and I, uh, I sometimes used to think as I got older, it's kind of healthy to realize that I'm not that special, that plenty of people feel the way I do. And you don't feel so alone. Do you know what I mean? You yeah, don't feel- I do. Except then, you know, we end up in this fucked up industry where everyone is hyperbolizing just how special we are. Right. Almost in a way to kind of control us, you know, like to kind of pander to our egos, tell us we're special, we're special, we're special. And so it's an extra kind of, and it's an, a really vital effort to make sure that you remember that that that, that is not really true. Right. And you and I have both met countless people who will go unnamed who buy into it. They buy into it and it makes them more and more unhappy. I mean, what about so- Russell Crowe? Like just like popped into your head. No, I'm joking. <laughs> <laughs> I think the time he, he punched me out, maybe. <laughs> uh, no, it's just so, um, I mean, this is what fascinates me. You and I both get to work in this business uh, where that that people kind of idolize. People love, they think show business and getting to walk on a red carpet and um, be known and occasionally get some free stuff uh, is absolutely amazing. And it's a very American dream and people obsess about celebrity. And my question is, why are so many of them so fucking unhappy? There's a lot of people that are just really miserable. I don't know anyone happy. <laughs> you don't you don't know really anyone don't, who's no but I'm serious like I really don't know anyone who's like really happy and well uh or has been throughout the entire experience I think all the people I know who were starting to come to peace are all kind of like in their 50s and 60s I yeah. don't know anyone who's young who's really happy they smile no. on the red carpet but they're all like they're f- f- I mean they're fucked <laughs> well they're terrified yeah. uh and and you know, I know that you, um, I, you know, I know that you worked with, uh, in The Good Place, you worked with Ted Danson. Mm-hmm. And he's an example to me of someone who uh, was very famous, very young, and has had this just incredible success, you know, but in film and television, and it's just this unrelenting uh, success. But whenever I'm around him and the times I talk to him, he's such a lovely guy. And he's, mm-hmm. there's this Zen calm that comes out of him. And I think that if I could get in a time machine and talk to him at 25, I probably wouldn't get that. No, he's, even at 40, you wouldn't have gotten that. He's so yeah. open about it. It's one of yeah. my favorite things about Ted. Yeah, That's he, come has, with he, age. Has been, he has been through the mill and he under, now it's such a cliche to say someone gets it. He just gets it. He understands. He has this deep understanding of... Um, you know, probably what it's, what it's, he's been through so much and he has this understanding of just how to be 
And he's, whenever I encounter him, I think if there's any like disease in my body, it will go away because <laughs> I'm talking mm-hmm. to Ted Danson. He's just such a lovely man. And I believe that that comes with age. And yeah, he chases simplicity. He chases gratitude. Like he would skip, physically skip around the set and be like, aren't we so lucky to be able to do this? Aren't we such a great group? Aren't we so lucky that we have all this chemistry and all this fun together and we'd be shooting until one o'clock in the morning and he would be exhausted. We were all exhausted, but he's also in his 70s and it's 119 degrees outside and he's just still unrelenting in his enthusiasm. No, not a Complaint. And this is a man who this could not be less new to, but he treats it as if he's new. He's like he is so determined to not to not take anything for granted again. Because yeah. I think once he used to, and he was fucking miserable. And right. so he hangs on to that, but also he's fucking he's obsessed with Mary. He's obsessed yeah. with her. Like she would be right. driving in the little golf cart. That that's his wife, uh, Mary, who um who and they met at 50, which is also just amazing and so beautiful but he uh was whenever she would come to set she'd be driving down the little golf buggy and he'd be watching her and he literally like a baby would almost like beyond his own control just start doing a little clap to himself and giggle because he was so excited to see her so he's really like refined his life to be very much so about only doing work that you love making sure that you are grateful all the time and then really just surrounding yourself with the most wholesome and kind and simple and funny people. He's absolutely nailing it. But that's mean meaning to me, I have so many people. We are a a culture that idolizes youth, beauty, and um I am fifty-eight and I am happier at fifty-eight mm-hmm. than I than I was at forty-eight, thirty-eight, twenty-eight, eighteen, eight. <laughs> I mean, just <laughs> like and and that's my uh, I I just appreciate things more. Um, I'm, and I look back at myself, and yes, I I, I think it's appropriate. I could, you can't. It's very hard to be Zen, uh, comedian in your twenties and thirties. It's just probably not going to happen. But when people wax rhapsodic about youth. I think I like this better. I really do. And um, as you can tell, I work out a lot. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I have the body mm-hmm. of like a 22-year-old sure. athlete, sexual oh, athlete. Yeah. An ass that won't quit. That's what they say about you. Well, <laughs> actually, I, I have an ass that <laughs> However did, much uh, they ask it. To. <laughs> <laughs> I apparently... I have an ass that did quit and left because I've been told- My ass never arrived, (laughs) so at least least yours turned up to the party. My ass is in a FedEx tube somewhere and I never got it. I'm Asian, I'm Asian. Mine just was never like, (laughs) it was never signed up for, for me. It was never in the cards. The stork just flew past me. I, uh, yeah, I was very disappointed when I was told by women that (laughs) they were like, oh, that guy, he's got a great ass. And I think, wait, we have to have an ass? Yeah. No, I didn't get the memo. So yeah, yeah. I've had I mean, implants. The I've had Brazilian. On, the expectation on men is just it's it's so much, you know, aesthetically. Yes. Oh, it really Us is. women, we can just chill. Yes. But exactly. you guys, Us an ass and the bare minimum? God. <laughs> <laughs> Let's define bare minimum. Uh, 
and I want that in metric. Uh, it's, a, <laughs> it's a more impressive number. Um, yeah, I, I have to say, uh, I think that there's so much to, as you go along and you just have raw experience, um, I have become much happier and I've done the, I've done work, which I believe in. And I think people that listen to your podcast, you know, uh, I, I think are very wise about this, uh, and they're learning about it, which is, um, we all have these issues. Uh, I am, I'm shocked when someone doesn't have an issue at this, mm-hmm, at this age. Yeah. I'm more surprised, uh, or they're not in touch with it. They just don't know themselves. Yeah, liars. Yeah. Liars. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Damn liars. But I think, uh, yeah, I like I like life better now. I wouldn't change anything. Uh, I actually I would change one thing. I would take the knowledge Your ass. that I I would change my ass and yeah. I would add an ass where there is no ass, and I would um, take the knowledge that I learned from a sex therapist, like eight years ago, <laughs> and I would have that knowledge <laughs> as a twenty year old man. I wish I could. That's the one thing I would do in time travel. A penile time machine. Yes, a penile time machine. Exactly. There's no better word for it than a penile time machine. <laughs> how, yeah. how, like, was penile time machine on your bingo card for any chats this year? Uh, twice. Okay, yeah. fine. That's good. Yeah. That's exciting. And both times I insisted it be on there. I've, I, I've, been, asked, I've been asked to leave many, bing- <laughs> many online bingo tournaments because I insist that that penile time machine be on there. So, so you've done so you've done so many things. You've hosted your own show, the Tonight Show. You've you've hosted uh, your own podcast. You've interviewed right. every. You've interviewed fucking David Bowie multiple times. Right. You've you've kind of crossed off so many things that probably weren't even on your bucket list because they were so preposterous, and and yet they've just kind of made it in. Yeah. And so, uh, so what? Like, what else do you want to do? You've got. All this time, we hope you've got all this time left, Conan. We have no idea. We really Um, have no idea. But, you know, you're still relatively young, 58. It's like you're nowhere near. I mean, Danson's still going and he's got 20 years on you almost. Yeah, but he's he's Ted Danson. You know he's getting some special treatments, uh, some, you know, that are only available to Ted Danson. You know that. He just looks too good. He's getting some kind of special blood. He goes to some foreign country. <laughs> I think you're a, doing fine. I think you're doing fine. There's a Swiss fine. lab, but What yeah. are the things that you want to do? Like, not just career-wise, but also like, you know, you said you're still not good with confrontation. Like, what are the things that you would like to kind of spiritually achieve that you still like haven't quite gotten there yet? I, I really, I really want to imagine that. Okay, uh, I would like to care less what other people think of me. I, mm-hmm. If I could have that part of my brain removed, uh, I would have it removed. Even what if do you want f- them to think of you? Well, I'd like them to think of me as I, uh, a nice person that tries. I try to make people, I think instinctively when I'm around people, I try to make them feel better. So... Um, and I just mean people on the street or people that I encounter. I I try to make their day a little better, but sometimes I think I um, I think I'm too focused on it. Sometimes I think it would be uh, a good idea to have a little more what the fuck in my life. You know? Does that make sense? I don't know what you mean. No. What do you mean? I mean, I kind of know what you mean, but I want you to spell it out and just agonize Like, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to do this. And, um, 
if people don't like it, if yeah, I'm going to try this kind of thing or I'm going to try that kind of thing, and if people really hate it, well, what are you going to do? I gave it a try and move on rather than obsessively worried, does everybody like it? Do you know what I mean? I just, yeah, no, I, I, I really, totally know what you mean. I admire people that have, I think I have a lot more of it than I used to, but I'd like to keep going in that direction. Do you know what I mean? And Is there a thing cr- you have in mind though, that you're just like, I want to fucking try this and I don't care if everyone thinks, cause you're not, because are you worried that people will think you're a bad person for this thing? Or are you worried that people won't think you're funny or they'll think you've lost it? Like what's the Yeah, well, that's anxiety? the fear everyone has is, um, that they stayed on the field when they when they should have gotten off. Uh, and that is especially scary in comedy because you can feel like it's so easy to cross over into being, oh my Hack. God, him again. Is he still around? I'm so tired of his voice. And so there's that. I think I would like to write something. I started out as a writer and I've, I would aspire to write something um, uh, and kind of aim high and, and whether it's my story or, uh, some silly fiction, I'd like to write something. I'd like to put pen to paper and, and write something and, uh, just put it out there at some point. That's something I'd like, I aspire to do at some point before I I get too old. I think I'm going to hold you to that. I think that you should absolutely do that. You're you have my favorite mind in the whole wide world. I'm I to, I I fucking adore you. I know I'm really mean to you all the time. Terrible to me. It's yeah. Awful. But it's 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 <laughs> I beat you cuz I loves you. Uh, no, I, uh, <laughs> I, <laughs> it really is sort of an we have kind of an S&M thing going where yeah, you're just yeah, yeah. In, you're incredibly uh, abusive to me and I just I'm like I'm, That's why want, you wrote I, on the Simpsons. Uh, I know. So, <laughs> I, I, want, I want more of that. Yeah. No, I uh, but I I do I adore you. And I think you are such a fine mind with such a sensitivity and such a heart and such a a tendency towards the unexpected that I feel as though, and I know this is the exact thing that you're fearing, right? I'm feeding into it right now that I'm expecting something really profound. Mm -hmm. I think that everything you've done has been a scary accident. You mustn't lose that now. Right. Like I, this I is agree. this is I the agree. time that you know. Like I know you've done a kind of like quite sterile version of your show where there's been less kind of room for yeah. something wild to happen. Even doing this podcast not face to face like doesn't feel quite as right as I want it to be. But it's it, and so I know that you feel maybe a bit detached from that old side side of yourself. But that's where all of your magic has happened is in the dangerous yeah. and in the unknown. And I would love to see something you that you make. I would. Okay. I, 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 I think. I, I I'll think do you something. Should do that. I really do. Well, I don't know what it's going to be, but whether it's a clay pot or another show, uh, I'm going to. I like to make things, so I'm going to keep making things, and I'm going to try and get uh, uh, better at. If people like it, fine. If they don't, we don't live forever anyway. So, but also like yeah, legacy and all these different things that I think hold us back. I think are so problematic. And and if I may. Um, failure I have always said and I've said this I think maybe on this podcast before or I've prattled on to my poor listeners about it some other time but failure I think is incredibly noble because it means that you tried when success wasn't guaranteed like I look yep. at failure as something that is is much more noble than just being effortless 
in your right. success. I really like I feel so, so passionately about it. And I, I I run towards it. I think that's true. And I think you also use another word, which is, you know, legacy. And I think um Oh fuck people, a legacy. Yeah, exactly. People get obsessed with this idea. I, I gave this speech once years ago. Uh, I think it was in 2000 at Harvard. They invited me to give a talk uh, at graduation. And I told them about all my ups and downs. And that was in 2000 before I even had, I'd only had half my ups and downs at that point. But I told them success is like a white tuxedo. You become obsessed with, I don't want to get any I don't want to stain it. I don't want yeah. to, you know. <laughs> That's I don't, amazing. And I said, um, you know, it it actually starts to, if you have success, your fear of fucking that up can actually inhibit you. And uh, Mine is when, covered in blood and feces. Yes. And spaghetti. And I'm sorry I said feces twice on this podcast. You're very, uh, you're in I'm, the fecal zone. I'm taking I'm it say. back. No, I really don't want... It's you too think late. I'm in the fecal zone. I really no, like, no, no. I've no, I've Please. worked so hard in my life to not have you think I'm in the fecal zone. <laughs> <laughs> I only but took no. the good place in the but, hopes that I could one day meet you and you wouldn't think I was in the fecal zone. Yeah. But yet, truly, like I sorry, so finish what you're saying. I was just Well, no, I was just saying that I, I think <laughs> um I think that so many people are inhibited. They inhibit themselves, they build a cage around themselves. Uh, with the success they've had. And then they think they can't look any different. They can't age. They can't embarrass themselves. Um, and we see that a lot in our business. And of course, you need to do all those things. We need to age. We need to embarrass ourselves. We need to try. We need to uh, succeed and we need to fail and we need to get hurt. And as long as we're you know, treating other people with some degree of, you know, kindness uh, and compassion, great. That's, what's the harm? If, if you're not, you know, if you're doing all that, why don't you have the, you've earned the right to fall on your ass a couple of times. Yeah. And I think also I want to look back at, on my life with a very, very stained tuxedo. I personally yes. will look at that. And I mean, it's already pretty stained. Anyone who follows me on Twitter, they've seen, they've, they've watched <laughs> the stains happen uh, in real time. Uh -huh. um, and I'm sorry about that. But I, uh, I really like, I think a part of the fabric of my life, I hope, is that I look back at, uh, like, it's, I want my tuxedo to be disintegrating. Yes. For the, for the filth that I have acquired over the course like of my life. When we're done, it should look like uh, you jumped on a grenade to save your battalion wearing a tuxedo and it exploded and it's just in tatters. Yes. And you're, you know, that's what we should, that's what, that's, that's I really what just want like. it to be nipple tassels. I really want it to have been reduced to just basically two nipple nipple covers. Those I, I little, really think little I just, pasties. Yeah, little pasties. pasties. Yeah. So I I just that's hmm. that's my personal dream is to run at failure is to stay on the field. You know, you're talking about like not wanting people to like wondering when you're going to leave the field. I want to be dragged off the field. Yeah. Kicking and screaming. I'm just that's... coming at this. I love imposter syndrome. When people think I don't belong or deserve it, I'm like, yes, I'm going to go in there. <laughs> I'm going to get everything I can. I'm going to steal. I'm going to get some free meals. I'm going to take a selfie with Conan O'Brien. Like when I was on your show the first time when I was there on my own. It was the absolute pinnacle and height of imposter syndrome because I've watched your show forever and uh, I could, I just couldn't believe that I was sitting there with you on that That's show. That's so funny. Having that conversation is why I, I kept on 
That's why I was so inappropriate because I go into like full. Yeah, but you were. Yeah, you worst were great. Part of my brain. Yeah, but, but you were great because that's that is what makes it magical. Is you didn't you. Oh, I went in there just like, I was like, I don't care what NBC are going to think about how this goes. I don't care if the audience likes me. I'm going to make the absolute most of this. I'm not going to dare walking away from, I'm not going to walk away from this without knowing that I had as much fun as humanly possible just with you. I didn't give a shit about how the interview came out or how I came across. But that's why it was great. I just wanted that moment. That's why it was great. That's what makes it work. So let's learn from that. So Conan, uh, as I'm, I'm losing you shortly, will you just tell me, what do you weigh? I weigh my moments throughout life of total freedom where I had no inhibition. I just, moments where I was making a group of people laugh or a bunch of people on the street laugh uh, and I was just not thinking and doing and riding some kind of wave and then there can be an audience there or not, but moments when I wasn't afraid and I just did and was happy. That's what I weigh. I love that. Is there a particular moment that you have where you look back to that and you're like, fucking hell, I felt amazing. Then, like, there's a kind of moment where you want to get back to that feeling. I mean, I've had it, I've been blessed, but I've had so many times where I've just been in a room full of writers or with my wife and kids or at a party or any place, and it does not have to be um, clearly on stage. Uh, and I just started to unspool some weirdness in my head and I had no fear and I just went with it and everybody's laughing and then I'm laughing. And I think this is such a nice uh, antidote to all the worry and planning and anxiety and fearing what will people think it's just such a great, those moments, I live for those moments um, of just floating. And sometimes they have happened uh, on a big stage, but more often they haven't. And it just makes me happy for that you know, fourth grader who was so anxious and so worried. You know, I can channel that kid at that moment and go, see, this is fun. It's all good. Just uh, anxiety is not your friend. 100%. Well, I am your friend. Yes, you are. You are. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to text you. Yeah. It's going to get weird if you haven't handed me in some pages. <laughs> I'm going to need some pages from you, Conan. Yeah. Okay? I'm going to stay do, on you about this. I, I owe you pages. And also, we got to do a meal. That's going to be fun, too. I would, so. I, would, I would die. I'd frankly die. And all of my... All of the mess that I got on my tuxedo has led me to being able to have dinner with someone that I adore so much. Thank you so much for coming on and chatting. Thank with you. Me about I love this. This was really fun. I feel like I, I feel like you could charge me now. This was a very good therapy session. <laughs> well, thank you for taking all of that depression and that pain and that anxiety and putting it aside to bring so many people so much joy for such a long time. And may you continue to do so. And now. I hope so. um, get the fuck off my podcast right <laughs> <laughs> what a charming exit line i love it um, thank you thank you for I love having you, conan. me thank you love for you being too here. 
Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode. I Weigh with Jamila Jamil is produced and researched by myself, Jamila Jamil, Erin Finnegan, Kimmy Gregory, and Amelia Chapelo. And the beautiful music that you are hearing now is made by my boyfriend, James Blake. And if you haven't already, please rate, review, and subscribe to the show. It's such a great way to show your support and helps me out massively. And lastly, at I Weigh, we would love to hear from you and share what you weigh at the end of this podcast. Please email us a voice recording sharing what you weigh at iweighpodcast at gmail.com. And now we would love to pass the mic to one of our listeners. I weigh my mixed race heritage and multicultural upbringing that has enriched and continued to enrich my life in so many ways. I weigh the music that I write and produce as a woman of color, still in a very white and male dominated music industry. I weigh my willingness to learn and to constantly challenge any internal biases that society forces upon us. I weigh my luck and my gratefulness to be alive. And I weigh my love for doggos. Thank you, Jamila, for creating this wonderful community.